0: Hello and thank you for tuning in to the third season of the iStart PIA Relay Podcast, brought to you by Dementia Researcher. iStart is a professional society and part of the Alzheimer's Association, representing scientists, physicians and other dementia professionals active in researching and understanding the causes and treatments of Alzheimer's disease and other dementias. In this five-part series, we've once again asked members of the iStart professional interest areas to take turns at interviewing their colleagues and being interviewed themselves, with the interviewee going on to be the interviewer of the next episode. We'll be releasing one of these podcasts each day in the build-up to the Alzheimer's Association International Conference to showcase the amazing work of the iStart PIAs. So this week you're going to hear all about fluid biomarkers, atypical Alzheimer's disease, reserve, resilience and protective factors, immunity and neurodegeneration, and technology and dementia with some amazing guests.
1: Hi everyone and thank you for joining us. I'm I'm Dr Louise Ince and I'm a postdoctoral research associate at the University of Texas at Austin. I am also a member of the Immunity and Neurodegeneration PIA. Um, and today I'm delighted to be talking with Erica Dove. Hello, Erica. Hi. Um, so, first off, um, can you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you? Absolutely.
2: Um, so, my name is Erica Dove. I'm a second year PhD student at the University of Toronto in Toronto, Canada. And I'm also the communications trainee for the technology and dementia professional interest area.
1: Cool. So can you um, tell us a bit about your own research? How does technology relate to dementia?
2: I think that's a great question. and I think it really depends on your definition of technology. So for some people, technology is very high tech, things like VR and Um, AI, things like that. Whereas other people, things can be quite low tech, like things like mobility devices or things like grab bars, like more occupational. I'm interested in all sorts of technology. I think that the things we can use to modify the environment to make it more accessible for people, both cognitively, physically, socially, psychologically, is really important. Um, And a little bit about my own research, my broad interests are because my background's in kinesiology, which is the study of human movement. Um, My research is mainly about using technology to improve health or to foster health among people living with dementia, so people who already have dementia. And um, I was brought to this area of research back in 2012 when my grandmother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And I saw how it impacted her life. She used to love to do things like crossword puzzles and Sudokus and going for lunch with friends. And then um, over time, she wasn't able to do those things anymore because of the progressive nature. She wasn't remembering characters from books and she wasn't able to put the numbers in the correct spots. So she wasn't able to do things she loved to do. And I knew that there, there had to be a way to make things more accessible for her.
1: Sorry, I was going to say that I think um, I think it's great that so many people in this field have that personal connection. It's a such a strong driving factor for people doing research um, that, yeah, you kind of took something that could really be a negative and spun it into drive to achieve something positive. That's that's really great.
2: Well, so simultaneously, as my grandmother was diagnosed, I was just con- um, completing my undergraduate degree. And I did a research-based internship with my supervisor now, Dr. Arlene Estelle, who is a technology and dementia researcher from the UK. And she was conducting a study about touchscreen technology and whether people with dementia can learn to use this technology over time to kind of challenge some of that negative stigma about the capabilities of people with dementia. And I had never really thought about that. I kind of just thought of dementia as this disease that you were diagnosed with, and it just got worse with time. There was nothing you could do, and it was all very bleak. And then I remember going out to my very first data collection session, and we had played a tablet game with a woman at a date program. And it was the first time she had played, so she was struggling a little bit with the rules. We were video recording over her shoulder, as well as her facial expressions. And we went back on the second day and remember we gave her the same demonstration of the game. We put the game in front of her and it it was like she had been playing that game for five years. She was able to do all the movements. She was making scores. She didn't need any prompting. And it was just amazing to see someone learn and take something on that fast, especially technology. Because I thought I was in my early 20s and I thought I don't think older people want or can take on technology. So I was blown away. And I was so blown away and I said, I have to get this message out. So this is kind of where my research comes in as i am always like, no matter what study I conduct, the very first take home point I always say is that the people with dementia were able to use, learn to use the X, Y, Z because I think it's so important to highlight that they have capabilities.
1: Absolutely. So I guess with that, your therapy is then in more of a a group setting? Is it an individual thing? I mean, do they do they get competitive? Your patients kind of do they have a leaderboard or
2: something? So it depends a lot. Um, I work in adult day programs, mostly uh, in kind of the Toronto area, and they have limited staff for the number of clients that they have. So everything's done in a group setting, which makes things really engaging because people cheer each other on. They do get competitive. I've gone to certain day programs and I've set up my extra game systems, which basically extra games are just games that you play by moving. Um, so, for example, Nintendo Wii, Xbox Connect, where you swing your arm and the character throws a ball. And uh, in the group setting, I've gone to day programs and set it up. And they said, Oh, well, aren't you going to keep score? And I had never thought of that before as a researcher because I just came in to conduct an intervention to see, okay, for my master's, at least they're looking to see whether this improved their cognitive function, movement, confidence, and balance. And I was very focused on my outcomes. And as a master's student, I really wanted to make sure I'd crossed all my T's and dotted all my I's and did everything perfectly. Even though when you're trying to run, an intervention in a real world setting, like a day program, let me tell you, it is not very easy because there's so many extraneous variables like the staff or, you know, the Wi-Fi goes down or just like people mingling with one another and just different personalities and like the social element. So the social element's great, but it also makes it a little hard to standardize things.
1: I, bet, I think that's that's one of the good things that we have for um, more basic research, I guess, that all of our, our mice are very much the same. There's less of that kind of extraneous factors to make things more variable, but obviously it's, it's less translational to, um, to real patients. But that's great to hear that you kind of have a real community around it. Do you think this also improves their cognition and symptoms just by means of having this like social network, I guess?
2: That's a great question. Um, And I'll answer it in two parts. So for my master's research, again, I looked at cognitive function and I used something called the Montreal Cognitive Assessment, um, also known as the MOCA for short, which is just a cognitive screening tool. And I used it, this is a 10 week intervention, so I used it before and after. And what I found was that there was no change in cognition. So they had actually maintained their cognitive function over the 10 week period. So I know the trajectory of dementia can be quite variable for people, but it's in a, in a way it's kind of a positive front of that. at least it didn't get worse. So they didn't. Yeah. Um, and then my other. Way to answer that question is that there's been quite a bit of literature looking at extra gains for cognitive stimulation and they use a lot of tests like the mocha or the mini mental status exam and they have seen some preliminary evidence that it can improve cognitive function, but the literature is still really new and variable.
1: Yeah, I think it's such a cool topic. I think it's really great. So I guess leading on from that, what would be the, the hot topics in your area? What's the the future for this kind of research?
2: That's a great question. In my field, um, it's interesting because I was conducting some interviews with game designers and they were talking about VR, virtual reality, and how popular it's becoming, how accessible it is, how immersive it is. I've never used it and i I don't know. I have I think I'd have to try it out. It's interesting. So I think that's where it goes. Also, a lot of artificial intelligence or AI, I think, is a big thing in the field of tech dementia. Um, It becomes less about like we've gone through. There's a lot of apps out there. There's a lot of there's not as many extra games, especially for this population, just because. A lot of people think of dementia in a cognitive regard and think very like, okay, you have dementia. We're going to give you cognitive training to teach you to remember names of your family members. And they don't really think, oh, well, actually, people with dementia are two to eight times more likely to fall. And therefore, they need fall prevention strategies. Yeah, that's a true statistic from a 2016 study. I've seen different ones, but it's always at least two to three times more. Um, So they're more likely to fall mostly because they've got impairments in balance and gait and also um, like falls related psychological concerns like fear of falling. Or also sometimes in more advanced stages of dementia, they can have a lack of insight and be more confident than they should be in certain activities. So, yeah, for cognition, I would say it's undetermined, but there's definitely the great thing about extra games or sorry, not extra games, VR and AI is that they're... They're not accessible, but they're, they are accessible in the sense that you can get really immersed and it doesn't matter if you're in a wheelchair or if you're standing or I've heard of studies where they do mostly sitting. Um, but that sales with the hot topics and where things are going in the next. I'd love to see where the field is in the next five years, even.
1: Cool. So with that, what does your peer um, then do to support this kind of research?
2: Uh, Well, so being on the executive committee, we have newsletters that we send out to the PIA membership that talk about upcoming projects, um, upcoming meetings like the Alzheimer's Association International Conference or AAIC. Um, But I think what my PIA really does is a lot of networking. You get to learn. It's very multidisciplinary. So you'll have people who are from my background, like rehab sciences, people from psychology, engineering, engineering. Um, all sorts of disciplines, occupational and physical therapy, and you can learn different things from different disciplines. And there's different technologies that people are using for different purposes. Like some people are using technology for assessment. Some people are using technology for intervention. Some people are using it for tracking progression over time. And I think it's really interesting to learn about all the different ways that technology can be used to support people with dementia or even just the assessment of people with dementia. I think that like my research is very much intervention focused and I tend to focus a lot on expert games to look at functional outcomes. But I think the assessment could also be integrated into that type of technology where you say, OK, Jim, these are his stats. And then six months later, oh, these are his stats. Now this is his reaction time. And this is his gait stability and measuring all those different functions and saying, okay, so he has either maintained, he's declined in these areas and maybe so we can target the training or the intervention to target those areas by being more balance focused or more focused on cognition, if that's the issue.
1: Yeah, it's great that you've you've really got it covered from kind of diagnosis through tracking um, and hopefully eventually treatment and interventions as well.
2: Yeah, that's the hope. Um, like I said, I'm definitely in the treatment and intervention, which I love because I get to work with the people, which is one of my favorite parts of being, I think, an early career researcher is that I still have time to work with the people and go to the day programs and interact because I know... As people get further along in their career in academia they get more kind of you know the manuscript writing the grant writing the delegation and so i love being on the ground while i while i still have time
1: absolutely does um does your peer have anything specific for the the early career researchers is this again more of the networking and putting you in contact with other early career researchers um so
2: they we do they put you in contact with other early career researchers we also have um we encourage at our pre-conference, we encourage student poster submissions and we do like a poster competition, but we're always looking for new and innovative ideas to engage early career researchers in our PIA, and we're always looking to learn from other PIAs as well.
1: That's great. So how like how is your PIA structured? I want to see how similar it is to our immunity one. So we've got, I think
2: there there's six of us on the executive committee. We've got our past chair, our current chair, our vice chair, Uh, the communications chair, the communications student trainee, which is me, the, um, I believe it's the project chair and then the project communications chair, student
1: communications chair. Um, So it's kind of structured in that. And then we just got our general PM membership. That's cool. Do you know like roughly how many, how many members have you got at the moment?
2: I know. Last year, our goal was to hit one. Um, I think I can't remember if it was four hundred or five hundred, but I know that we passed. The nice,
1: mark. awesome,
2: congrats! So we've got quite a membership, and the cool thing is we have an annual business meeting, and the membership again tends to be very broad. So we have people coming from industry. We have people coming who are caregiver carers. We have people coming who are engineers or game designers. We have researchers. We have people with lived experience of people living with dementia coming and all these voices are heard. So it's really unique and really awesome. So
1: with that, what's the what's the best way for, for researchers to get involved with your, your PIA? The best way to get involved with the PIA
2: is probably through social media. We have quite an active presence through the communications. We have um, an iStart PIA um, LinkedIn and we're working on getting a Twitter. Also, just if you're able to join the conference, just coming and seeing the research and networking with us there is probably one of the best ways. And then coming to our annual business meeting, which is in September. Um, so you can give your insights and input into what you think would help the PIA move forward. I know we've got a lot of exciting goals for next year. So just getting some more input on those goals.
1: Nice, so I guess you mentioned goals there. Can you can you describe some of these? Have you already set some?
2: Yeah, so we're gonna be hosting something called uh, Meet the Author, like an iStart Journal Club. Uh, looking at tech uh, we call them tech and dementia just you know as the umbrella term just tech and dementia articles um so basically we'll choose a few articles invite the authors to come and speak to their articles and host like a panel discussion slash q a Um, one of our other goals is also to do a joint webinar with the uh, non-pharmacological interventions pia just because there's a lot of overlap with our work and not that it's overlap it's more actually complementary i'll say So I think our work complements each other a lot. Like there's a lot of non-pharmacological interventions out there for people living with dementia that involve technology, especially as technology becomes more pervasive in our society. So that, and then we always have the goal of just hosting our annual pre-conference, hosting our annual business meeting. And then we also wanted to do a combined initiative with the uh, diversity and disparities Pia.
1: So we've got quite a few goals. Yeah. We're a very active group. Yeah. Is your um your connection with the diversity and disparities is this more along the lines of like access to technology or like experience with technology? Yes. Access, yes.
2: Like an access and accessibility.
1: So I think with with that, yeah, we do have a whole generation. Like I think our generation is very familiar with technology. We're using it currently and probably into our older age. Um, do you think this will affect kind of the the rates of cognitive impairment um, and dementia longer term, um, how do you see technology and use of technology in younger life changing the prognosis for the future?
2: I think that's a really interesting question. I don't know if I have the expertise to you know, give a definitive answer. I think there's a lot of literature out there. It's very... Heterogeneous, Like there's a lot of different interventions, different types of technologies, different frequencies in which people are asked to use them, different types of dementia, severities of dementia. So I don't know if I could say overall, I think technology, it will change. Um, and I think with the rate of diagnosis, it may actually make, I know there's a lot of screening tools that they validated over the phone because of the pandemic. And I know there's a lot of things that can potentially be automated, like I was talking about in XR games. Like if you could automate cognitive assessments, I knew of a, of a game um, that was actually created out of Breer Research Institute in Ottawa. Uh, Canada and they had a -a whack-a-mole game that actually was assessing cognitive function it was looking at reaction time and like correct versus incorrect moves it was actually using that to assess cognitive function and that was back in 2017 and technology's evolved so much since then so I think I don't know if technology can really like stop the progression of dementia because I think it's a multifactorial thing like there's things like diet exercise genetics stress medications so many other things and i'm just not an expert in the area but i think it's always good to keep your mind active and do something that engages i was just re- i was just listening to a presentation yesterday about how tablet games can engage cognitive domains in people with with dementia so it still engages their cognition so which is so important right so i think that it you know potentially it could i just can't say definitively
1: Absolutely. I think that's fair. And I think, I mean, for us as early career research, there's so, like, there's so much further this field can go. Um, but I think it makes it really exciting that we're kind of on the, the cusp of some really cool, some cool research. Um, so are you presenting any of this at the AAIC? I am presenting my master's research at the uh, Tech
2: and Dementia Pre-Conference Um, It's a poster looking at the role of XR games in improving movement confidence among people with dementia. And movement confidence is basically the flip term of fear of falling. So instead of somebody having a fear of falling, it's how confident are you in your ability to move? Because there's theories out there that say that people who are not movement confident are they're more likely to avoid activity. And then these these lead to things like sarcopenia and muscle degeneration and then also increased risk of falls. So I find even though I'm still a very early career researcher, I watch my research evolve from something that we used to be very focused on. Like, OK, can this improve cognitive function to now like looking more at falls prevention almost? So it's interesting to watch things evolve over time.
1: For sure. And I mean, I think that also feeds into like some of our research is looking more into like mood disorders and how uh, mood and affect can change with ageing as well. So if these interventions give people um, more confidence and reduce anxiety, then this can also feed through, through inflammatory mechanisms and other kind of changes to their lifestyle that may also be really beneficial. So it's great that you have that kind of all round approach of improving multiple factors of um, of dementia and Well, I think people
2: are, we're holistic, right? We're not just segments. And again, this comes from just my very limited experience of occupational therapy and seeing the person as a whole, but we're so holistic. I think we can't forget that when we're designing interventions. So even if we're targeting cognition, also having some social stimulation in there and some physical stimulation we have a program here in canada through the alzheimer's society called minds in motion which is like a combined physical and social program and it's and it also does um like cognitive elements as well so it kind of combines all those components so things like that i think are great that are kind of multifaceted.
1: yeah that's great i think we kind of we've As scientists, I think we've shied away from using the term holistic because it's kind of gone a little little off track and maybe more into kind of like less stringent therapies, let's say. Mm -hmm. But I absolutely agree, like to treat something that's as complex as dementia or cognitive changes with aging, you have to treat as a whole kind of a whole Mm -hmm. person. Uh, or in my case, a whole organism in basic science. I absolutely agree, it's a really great perspective.
2: Yeah, I think in hindsight, maybe comprehensive is a better word than holistic.
1: (laughs) Um, So I think unfortunately it's time to end today's podcast recording, but I've had such a great time chatting with you. Um, I do have one final question and that is really, what advice would you give to other early career researchers? Maybe those thinking of going to grad school or going into dementia research?
2: That's a great question. I would say there was a quote that was given to me once years ago, and the quote was to seek discomfort. I think it's really important to step outside your comfort zone. I used to be very shy and reserved. So I would go to conferences and I would have a really difficult time networking. And now I'm here on a podcast. So like, that's pretty cool. You know, so it's like you learn how to network. you. You learn how to, you know, as we were talking about earlier, send those cold emails with asking for Zoom invites. You get that confidence. And I think that that's, like, just seeking discomfort and stepping outside your comfort zone and knowing, like, it's okay to ask, and the worst thing that someone can say is
1: no. Absolutely agree. I, too, like, I think my boss describes it as, like, an extroverted introvert that, like, Mm -hmm. most of the time we're very introverted, but at a conference, like, I will go and make friends with everyone. So, yeah, yes it's worth pushing yourself to do the same.
2: Yeah.
1: Cool. Then on that very positive note, thank you so much, Erica, for taking the time to join us today. And thank you for everyone for listening.
2: Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening. You'll find profiles on today's panelists and information on how to become involved in iStart on our website at dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk and also at alz.org forward slash iStart. We'll be back tomorrow with the next recording in our iStart PIA Relay podcast series. Finally, please remember to like, subscribe and leave a review of this podcast through your website, iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and in all the other places you find your podcasts. Thank you.